If you turn in Acts chapter 4, I think it's on page 1083 in your pew Bible, we're going to read that first section uh, for our scripture reading time this morning. Uh, If you're able, you could stand for the reading of the Word of God. That would be great. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it, had already, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, but what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and build and excuse me rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved Father we thank you for this text as we find our church name even in this text God, we pray that you would make us even more and more of a church built on the cornerstone of your Son. That there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so, God, would you help that to be more and more true of us. So, God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you transform our hearts? Would you help us to glorify you? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So I did a a little bit of a Google search this week. Uh, If you notice in verse 4 that this church grew. And so I thought it'd be fun to to do a little research uh, to see what the artificial intelligence wizards would tell us uh, good ways to grow a church just for some fun. Uh, I didn't like their first response. It said, get a new leader. (laughs) They also said to focus on holidays. Well, we do that, Christmas and Easter, but October 22nd, because there's a holiday for everything, is Count Your Buttons Day. I don't know how that would help us to grow as a church, but this Sunday, or I mean this Tuesday coming up is Baloney Day. If you celebrate that day, we're going to have to have a church discipline conversation. The third one was make a decision to grow just from within. It seems like a lot of businessy type cultural things to do. Another one was get a mission statement. We have one of those. The other was don't be distracted by vision. And I was like, well, doesn't that contradict what it just said? The list went on and on. 
And I think you get the idea of, it's kind of comical, that there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of ideas on how to grow a church. But what do we learn from the Bible is most important of how God grows a church. I think those ideas that many business books and websites and experienced pastors have are not necessarily bad things. But are they the best? So I think this morning I want us to consider that the Bible is the best guide for growing a church. And a church isn't determined to be healthy or even unhealthy by its growth in number. Growing is a sign of health, so is maturing and growing that way. But we must remember, church, that God is the one who does the maturing and God is the one who does the growing as a church is faithful to what he calls us to in the scripture. And so we see in verse four of our text that this church is designated as 5,000 men. Some would calculate this as a church of about 20,000 people when you take the women and you take children that are part of this is a mega church. And the focus here isn't on their growth as this church then goes about doing their business. It's about their faithfulness. And we can conclude as we will survey the rest of Acts chapter 4, at least through verse 31, that uh, a faithful church grows in three ways. Exclusively on the account of Jesus. Through obedience to Jesus. And three, in utter dependence upon Jesus. And so consider again the circumstances that this church is in, right? We know that last week we saw Peter and John had gone to the temple, that this lame man had been risen to be able to walk. And the temple fund police come in because the crowd is frenzied about and the Sadducees come to town. And I don't often get opportunity to say some dad jokes from the pulpit, but do you know why the Sadducees are sad? Because they don't believe in the resurrection. We learn this from Matthew 22, verse 23. It describes this ruling religious class. The same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked Jesus a question. That's where we see this first resemblance throughout this entire passage of the trials that Jesus went through are now being recapitulated with the trials of these apostles. As we saw last week, Jesus, through Peter, proclaims that those who are of the hearing need to repent. And the formerly laid man who's a beggar, is still there in their presence. And the Sadducees, they don't like people telling them to repent. They don't want to repent. They want to stop the commotion. They don't want the Romans to get word of what is going on and coming into the temple and saying, knock it off, because the Romans are not very gentle when they do that type of thing. It's like when the government regulators show up, right? You're doing a construction project and Act 250 folks, the Act 250 police come in and say, hey, you need to stop what you're doing. You didn't have approval to do this project. The Sadducees, they, took all, they take all the fun out of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. They major in minors and they minor in majors. And the high priest is their spokesperson. And to get the event to stop, 
they go after the leaders. They arrest Peter and John, and they set up a kangaroo court and put them on trial. But faithful to Jesus' charge, they've gone to Jerusalem on their way to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, and they are bearing witness, as Jesus said they would in Acts 1, verse 8, because this fledgling church has a mission, and persecution will now mark their mission moving forward as they move through this book of Acts. And it will increase over the next few chapters as they are in Jerusalem, culminating in the stoning of Stephen in chapter 7. The church grows because it's faithful, though. And first, it grows because they rest exclusively on the truth that salvation is only on account of Jesus Christ. The apostles were taken to Annas. They were taken to Caiaphas. And Peter has seen a trial with these two folks before. Peter saw Jesus' trial before these two men. But Peter also knows what Caiaphas said of Jesus when they were plotting to kill him. This is what happens in John chapter 11. When the Jews plotted to kill Jesus, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, listen to this, it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. And he continues, being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, speaks up in verse 8, knowing Caiaphas' words just a few weeks prior. With all those in an earshot, all those who could hear what Peter was about to say, recalling Caiaphas' words, Peter says, it is only through Jesus that the nation would be saved, that God would adopt children into his family. Peter's cares for those who can hear him, not just the answer to the high priest who's inquiring of him. Remember again, in verse 9, we see that that lame man is still there. And the same root word that we see in verse 9 of that lame man's healing is the same word that Peter is emphasizing in verse 12, and it is of salvation. What Peter cares most about here in this text is the salvation of those who are listening. As the lame man was saved or healed from his inability to walk, so too those who hear the gospel and respond in belief to the gospel can be saved from their sins. And the lame man's healing pointed to a greater healing. Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so in the examination room, the inquisition is really a cross-examination where Peter is now beginning to ask questions of the judge and the jury and the Sadducees. Peter was ready to make a plea, not for himself, not to defend himself. He was pleading for those who could hear to respond to the gospel. He had all the objections covered. It's like, Mom and Dad, can we have dessert tonight? Well, no. Well, we had it last night. Well, no. Well, why not? 
well, it's late. And then a kid could respond with like, well, it's seven o'clock somewhere. It's not too late, right? Peter turned the tables on them, and he is remembering Jesus' admonition to him. A few short weeks prior, we see this in Luke. Jesus told the disciples, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand and contradict. And so Peter is resting on those words. The one who is known for denying his Savior at Jesus' trial before the same people, he would not repeat that error. And so he responds by quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We got to remember that, right, church? Like that is an important verse for our church. Peter rejected that cornerstone. Peter rejected Jesus. And the council knows the verses that come after this in 23 and 24 of Psalm 118. It says this, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That despised stone, Jesus, has come to occupy the greatest position of honor, having risen from the dead. That is what leads God's people to rejoicing. The one, he says, you crucified. The one God raised from the dead. The one who healed this lame man. He is the only means of salvation for those who believe. Peter is leveraging this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. They just want Peter to stop. They don't want the Romans to come in. Peter knew that this was the only the beginning, though. Whereas Jesus is the agent of healing that man, he is most importantly the agent of healing our disease of sin. The total salvation comes from believing in his life and his death and his resurrection, the gospel for those who hear it. For Jesus alone is the saving power of God for salvation that every single person who has ever walked this earth truly needs. And just as easily as Peter reached out his hand to help this lame man walk, so too it is that easy for Jesus to save sinners who believe the gospel. By simply believing, earthly troubles are set aside and Jesus alone saves us from our eternal troubles. And salvation is only through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Those five solas, the core of the Reformation. And it takes a lot of courage to proclaim that. It takes a lot of courage to stand one's ground. In our world today, declaring truth in a world that doesn't even know what truth is, the angry mobs are always standing around, nope, you're wrong. A faithful church grows in the midst of persecution on account of Jesus Christ alone. We have to remember this, friends. A faithful church also grows on account of obedience to Jesus. Look at verse 13. That next paragraph. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. 
And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healing, healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For there is a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Literally, the fact that these were uneducated, common folks means that they were ignorant of Jewish law. They were the ones that were leading the charge. They didn't even know in the minds of this jury that they were familiar with the things in the scripture. And astonished, these religious leaders, they are representing themselves in the court. They know who the true arbiter of justice is. Peter and John know that it is God who is judge before this trial. And John and Peter were, again, present at Jesus' trial. Peter won't deny the truth again, regardless of the cost to him. The lame man is still before them. The evidence is sitting right there. It is before their eyes that this lame man can now walk. And it is before their eyes that Jesus has risen from the dead. The apostles cannot remain silent to the things that they have seen. The Sanhedrin, they couldn't trap Jesus in his trial they can't trap the apostles here in this trial. And so without any evidence to go against them anymore, the trial just kind of stops. It ceases. And so unable to refute the claims, the situation is impossible for them. So they just say, can you be quiet? But Peter loves to talk, right? We know that. In the Gospels, it got him in trouble, but now he is bold. He can't remain quiet. He must obey his Lord. And silence for Peter would be disobedience. So graciously, he just says, can't do that. And there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in silence these days. I think it is wise for the church to be silent, to not fuel the angry mob that wants to attack for anything and everything that they can throw at us, but we are called to still proclaim the gospel like Peter is. And so whether silent or vocal, the crowd will still be angry. So Peter's not scared of what the crowd or this Sanhedrin could bring to him. We aren't scared ourselves, right, of sharing our thoughts on sports or politics or what we had for dinner. And I'm not saying that we always should be silent. 
regarding those things, but one thing is for certain, we cannot be silent about bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he has done for the salvation of sinners who would believe the gospel. Jesus is the one who's particularly told these disciples, you will be my witnesses. You will go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They are in Jerusalem right now and they cannot not share what Jesus has done for those who need to hear it. They obey Jesus. That's the second thing. On account of Jesus alone, through obedience, this church remains faithful. And lastly, this church remains faithful because of their utter dependence on God's sovereign hand. Look at that last paragraph, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so in verse 23, they are released. And they don't have a gossip session. They don't go back to where the church was gathered. Can you believe what these guys did? They rejoice. Look what God has done. They comfort each other with the scriptures. They comfort each other with God's providential mighty hand upon the entirety of these circumstances. And God's power strengthened their resolve towards further faithfulness. Where again, we've seen that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And that message is proclaimed by an obedient church. And then they rest on God's sovereign, kingly power over all things. As they quote Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, this is a messianic psalm that shows that God is the one who is to be king. That it points to Jesus as that true king over all the nations where God defeats his enemies. And so why would we need to fear in this life? They probably remember Jesus' words in John 15. Remember the word that I have said to you. A servant isn't greater than his master. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Where scheming becomes futile. God knows the schemes as well as the answer. Where God is triumphant and when God's people realize that the plots against the church are ultimately against God himself, that it is in vain. Because God's in control of everything. 
where we remember that God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. And they want more boldness, as we see in verse 29. When we probably have, say, from the outside, this church has got a lot of boldness already, right? And they want more. For them, it's not a game. For them, it's not a club to belong to. For them, the church's foundation is God's good, loving, and sovereign hand. Those roots that seek, sink deep into the ground that withstand the strong winds. That is what they rest on to produce fruit when the storms come. And as God stretches out his gracious hand, God's people become blessed in verse 30. And when we think about this verse and those words of God stretching out his hand, I tend to think about like Peter reaching out his hand to help this lame beggar Stand up. But I think it refers to what Jesus does. And Jesus said the same thing to Peter again in John 21. Jesus told Peter about how he would stretch out his hands. John 21, 18 to 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself or walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this is what John, he adds a little commentary on this. He says, and this he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What Jesus is saying here to Peter, follow me, to the cross. What Jesus is saying to Peter as Jesus stretched out his hands on a cross for the sake of those who would believe the gospel, Peter, you too will stretch out your hands for the sake of people who need to hear the gospel. So let me read Acts 4, 29 and 30 again. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Remember, Caiaphas had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations to gather a people of God for himself. And Peter trusted God's sovereign hand. And even if it meant that Peter would die on a cross himself, which he will, but he would not allow himself to be crucified like his Lord, he asked to be crucified upside down. Jesus told these guys, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And a cross is not a pleasurable thing to follow. They don't want authority. They ask for more boldness. They beg God, give us more boldness to continue to proclaim this message, to continue to follow your commands. We want more opportunities to preach. We want more miracles to be performed. We want more people to be saved by hearing the gospel. They knew that God is the one who does the work, not them. And so they asked God to do more through them. And then we see in the text... The place was shaken. 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. They were already filled with the Spirit and another external sign of God's power manifested before them. Like we saw those tongues of fire in chapter 2. This was God's way of reminding them, I've heard you and I got, I didn't want to scare you. I've got this. I can't shake the building. This passage is a means of comfort and assurance for the church be faithful and trust God with everything else is what he's saying. A faithful church knows that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. A faithful church trusts God and obeys him. A faithful church depends on God for everything. And this whole scene started with a gospel proclamation, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for those who believe. And the cycle of discipleship continues for us today as believers, where we take this exclusive message that salvation is through Jesus in obedience, dependent on God, to the ends of the earth, to the people that we come in contact with, to the people that live and work and play where we live and work and play. And this is hard stuff. But again, we consider what God has done for us, where he saved you and he will remain faithful. In a pluralistic world where everything is subjective, where you just believe what you want to believe, identify however you want to identify, be true to yourself, you're just autonomous, the message of scripture is antithetical to those statements. And people aren't going to like it. People don't like it. And persecution may come. But consider God's grace towards you for confidence. But also consider what God has done and been faithful to the church that has come before us even today. Persecution may increase for us, but remember the words of Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. He told his accusers, he said, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And his famous words, here I stand. Church, the, the gospel that we proclaim is the cornerstone. We have a good name as a church. It is the foundation that we stand on. We shall never be moved because Jesus will never be moved. It is the only means of salvation for you and the lost and dying world around us. And so we can ask God for more boldness, right? And I think it's okay to admit that even obedience is hard. God calls us to some significant sacrifice. The morality that the Bible reveals to us, the things that the scripture calls us to are hard. God calls us to give up everything to follow him. But obedience is what Jesus wants. Obedience is what Jesus died for so that we could obey God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments where we can take up our cross, where we can follow Christ, we can die to ourselves. And it's okay to admit, that's not easy. John Piper said one time in a sermon I heard, 
Golgotha, or the place where Jesus was crucified, was not a suburb of Jerusalem. It's not like a nice, cute cul-de-sac where everything is neat and tidy. It's the place where Jesus died. And so let's have a posture that we cannot be silent. We have a message that the world desperately needs to hear. And our accusers, too, will be like us where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those who believe the gospel, it will be a worshipful moment. For those who do not, it'll be a fearful moment. Our role is to be obedient. Our role is to be proclaimers that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love the tombstone of John Knox, a great Scottish reformer. It says on his tombstone, here lies a man who in his life never feared the face of man. Would that be so of us? We don't just do what we think is right, we do what the Bible says is right. And what God calls us to do is right. Finally, we trust God, where God is faithful and we are totally and utterly dependent upon Him, just like this early church was. And if you've never read anything by George Mueller, I would highly recommend it. He was an early 19th century man who uh, ran an orphanage, and he was utterly dependent on everything that he received. There's a book that he wrote, Answers to Prayers. It's real thick, or real thin, sorry, not to scare you. It's real thin. You should pick it up. Really short accounts of what God did. And one description of him said that Mueller ransacked the Bible for promises and he prayed them back to God. As the early church did, right? They heard what God said. They repeated God's word back to him in their communication through prayer. Annette's pastor over in New Hampshire he recently said this. I thought it was great. He says, which is more important, inhaling or exhaling? The answer is neither. You need both to live. And so as we inhale God's word, we exhale through prayer. Both are essential for the Christian life because it's in Christ alone that salvation is found and so we trust and we obey and we depend on God for our help. The early church depended on this and God gave that early true church a lot of fruit as a result of their faithfulness. And so friends, let's be a faithful church, Cornerstone. Let's trust God that whatever fruit he decides to give us, that we'll be satisfied with that. Because in Jesus' words in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Where God has given Jesus all authority, we are called to take the message to all nations, and Jesus will be with us all days. Three great alls. And so let's rest in that, and let's put forth effort into that, because there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. Mercy, God, that that message of salvation has been proclaimed to us in our past and we had believed that. And so, God, would you give us boldness? Would you give us confidence? Would you give us assurance that we can go and bear witness to who you are and what you've done to a lost and dying world that is desperately in need of being saved from their sins? And that message is only about Jesus. And God, the world doesn't like that message. The world hates that message. Your enemies despise that message. And so would you give us confidence that obedience to you is, is better than obeying and listening to the world around us? And that might cause us to, to lose certain privileges. That might cause us to lose certain rights and resources. But God, you're worth it. So God, would you give us confidence to believe that and help us to trust your sovereign hand. In the words of Martin Luther, where we can say that goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, where the body they may kill, where God's truth abideth still. Would you help us to believe that, God? Would you help us to worship you in light of that, Father? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.